Welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast, where our mission is to help everyone recognize and experience the presence of God. Hey everyone, welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast. I am Kristen Russell, and it's been a while. We've been in quarantine, no one's been in the office, but we're back, and uh, we are excited to be talking to you. Um, Today, I am joined by Lynn Pike, our Director of Faith Formation. Hi, Lynn. Hey, everybody. We're going to talk a little bit about the Not the movie, the book, Just Mercy. I've watched the movie before I read the book, so I'm going to be confused during this talk, but that's okay. Um, So, Lynn, I just want to know, you know, as we kind of dive into this book here, why did you choose this book as one of the offerings for a laid-back book club? It's funny that you asked that, Kristen, because actually back in November, um, the movie Just Mercy was supposedly coming out. And we actually advertised it in the bulletin as a possible um, outing for our theater and theology. And then um, it got delayed, the release got delayed, and then it was into January and after the holidays, and we just never, we never got that all together. So it was all, the story itself was already, I think, on my radar. And then um, in May, uh, the world lost George Floyd, right? Because of... Um, police violence. And um, then after that, um, we had the march here in Midland, the rally. And Kristen and Tim and Kristen's roommate, Alyssa, and I, the four of us decided, let's go see what that's about. And that was kind of like the first step. And after doing that and participating, it was like, okay, I need to learn more. And so uh, I thought it would be a great way to read Just Mercy to learn a little bit more about our criminal justice system and um, maybe the things that um, we, I don't want to say have ignored, but maybe just haven't really been paying attention to because Mm -hmm. the news doesn't highlight all of those things, the underlying circumstances. And so I thought it was a timely read. uh, So we picked up Just Mercy. I think, too, you know, looking, particularly reading this book, I was shocked because you think your justice system, the word that it's like justice is in the name of it. So you assume that it's working for everyone. And this book has definitely been an eye opening read for me in terms of justice isn't the same for everyone. Um, and much like, you know, you can never judge a book by its cover. It's kind of like you you can't judge the justice system by, you know, its cover. You can't you can't judge families. You don't you don't know the history. You once you start peeling back those layers, you discover more and more about, you know, what's really going on. And, you know, right out of the gates, you know, the introduction of this book, <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I'm not going to, this is the introduction, I'm not going to make it through the book. One of our uh, readers who is in the Facebook group actually posted and said, Lynn, I'm already crying and it's just the introduction because I think it is so eye-opening and so jarring because something seems so clear and yet um, people who have power, what we're seeing in that introduction is that they use their power to change the story storyline. One of the things I like that Kristen just said, too, was I'm peeling the layers. And I think that's what Brian Stevenson is doing um, with each one of these people that he talks about in the book. Um, I think 
it is so important how he doesn't name cases. He'll name a case, but then he names the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the beginning of the book, Brian Stevenson talks about his grandma and how his grandma would hug him so tightly and say, "Can you still? You know, when you're done, can you still feel me?" Right? And about how proximity is important. That being close to people and knowing people and peeling back the layers, um, because that's the other thing Brian says too is, you know, we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done. Right there, I'm having a Shrek moment, right? Because we've got layers, right? Ogres have layers, onions have layers, everybody has layers. And that being near to somebody, not just identifying someone as a case or a crime, but knowing them, knowing their name. Um, And I know one of the things I had mentioned to Kristen is when we did the march, and they would, um, the people leading the chants would say, say his name at first. I couldn't say George Floyd. And when they would say, say her name, I couldn't say Breonna Taylor because actually having to say the person made it personal. It wasn't just a case. It wasn't just someone who was dead. It was a real person. And Brian Stevenson, I think, does an awesome job in the book always naming people and describing their stories. And how Christian is that? You know, when you bring a child to baptism, what's like the first question that the priests ask, what name have you given this child? And that's before that's the question they ask even before they you the priest asks, what do you want today? You know, what are you seeking? And that's baptism. They ask, what name have you given this child? Because our names are so important to us. Our names are important to God. God knows each one of us by name. So to be able to recognize this is a very christian book Mm -hmm. i mean from the very in the introduction we get an introduction to you know a hymn you know the old rugged cross played a huge role in one of the chapters it is it's a powerful symbol of what i think christians christianity is is about it's about justice it's about the underdog you know in raising up the least of these and putting putting them on even playing field and so you know that idea of say her name say his name it's very christian you know we aren't just called like hey you jesus calls people by name to follow him and and that is why we put so much stock in you know saying saying his name saying her name saying their name it's important it's who they are and scripturally God has every one of our names written in the palm of his mm-hmm. hand. God knows every every person by name. Um, speaking of scriptures and scripture story, there's two that keep coming to mind for me. And Kristen mentioned the one, the least of these. So in Matthew 25, I keep thinking about um, the least of these are the poor. They're the marginalized. They are people who don't have access to everything that we have access to. And the other one I just can't shake as I read this book is... Um, the Good Samaritan. And when the scholar asks Jesus then, you know, okay, so I've been doing all these things my whole life, you know, and I know that loving God and loving my neighbor are the two most important commandments, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That is a radical story. Like, your neighbor is the person who is the least like you. And it's the person you disagree with. It could be your enemy. That person is your neighbor. I was actually texting a friend yesterday about this book. Um, you know, just 
saying that we were doing a podcast today. She's like, oh my gosh, send me the link. She doesn't go to our parish. But, um, you know, and then we were kind of talking about the book. I said, imagine if um, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi were the two people in that story, two people who are diametrically opposed and the one went across to help and care for the other. Like we're talking about radical love and it's hard love and it I also in the book it talks about um you know forgiveness doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with a person but loving somebody is always putting their um their needs before your own and wanting the good of the other that's what love is and so are we willing to do that are we willing to will the good of someone who's completely different from us and in this book what what you see over and over again as Brian goes through different cases in people's life circumstances is that there are some, because there are a lot of great judges and there are a lot of great lawyers, but what you see are some who aren't willing to put the good of other in front of their own personal beliefs or their own desire to be right all the time. Um, I think one of the things we run into is in this uh, particular book is that once a decision's been made, some people have so much pride they don't want to admit that maybe they were wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't – I just keep thinking about the Good Samaritan. Can't shake that story. Who is my neighbor? And we are responsible for all of our neighbors. Absolutely. And I think this book does a fantastic job of bringing to light how the neighbors of these people weren't like the Good Samaritan. You know, they talk about God, they talk about being a follower of Jesus, but when push comes to shove, they're really, they're, they're not. And it shows through their actions. Um, you know, to kind of, we kind of talked around the book, but I was thinking, you know, let's kind of dive into to some of, you know, we've got reflection questions on the website for the book. So even if you don't want to be part of the Facebook group, but you just want to read on your own, you know, the discussion questions are put up every week. So if you want to reflect as you're reading with kind of guided questions, you know, they are there for you. But one of the questions from the first chunk of reading, the intro through chapter two, was, you know, the fact that Walter McMillan's case took place in Monroeville, Alabama. This is the hometown of Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And so it's amazing, like, as you're reading the book, people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, have you read the book? It's so great. And I completely agree with them. It is a fantastic book. But they do romanticize it. And I think it, it's just kind of funny to see how much they love the book and they have so much pride in this book. But it's like they've totally missed the whole point of what the book is, you know, and what the book is about. It's like they've had the experience but totally missed the meaning, right? Yeah. Like, um, and, and Brian talks about the time when he goes to like the clerk's desk or something they're like oh my gosh let me point you to the historic courtroom where they filmed the scene from to kill a mockingbird and gregory peck was there and they do a wonderful job you know like it's it's not a historical site per se like mm-hmm. where um the declaration of independence like something real it's where um something fictional happened but it's become larger than life for them and again it was a, a white lawyer defending a black man who was wrongly accused. Um, and it didn't work out so well nope. in that story. Um, but again, this notion of equal justice, again, they're having the experience, but missing missing the meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. it, it and, and this is a 
theme that I think kind of plays through the entire, well, so far of what I've read of the book, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird comes up several times because they are so proud of this Mm -hmm. book. But I, it it is funny how much, you know, they, they're just missing it. It it is a point of pride for them. I I think more so not the content of the book, but just the fact that the author of the book was from from there. there. Well, and it's funny that you talk about romanticizing things because I think we have a tendency to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like think about what you learned in your history class. Well, you know, that, uh, you know, what's in our history books is through a narrow lens, right? I think sometimes we romanticize our past about Thomas Jefferson and, um, you know, Go way back to the founding fathers. And even before that, what our country was built on and based on. I'm actually reading another book that Father Father Rob had two copies of, and so he tossed one my way. And it's called American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America. It's fascinating if you love history, but boy, does it give you some insight into um, the regional differences. And I think some of, as you read it, you're like, oh, we've taken those little bits of the original Um, stories of the original settlers and we've romanticized it and we've kind of created a history of the united states that is not untrue but it's this filtered and filtered out and romanticized version of um, how we came to be the united states of america and i think some of that like particularly the different groups that help establish the south and and even in yankee dom different areas um, really explains how we've gotten to this point that we're reading about in Just Mercy. Um, yet we have to be careful to not romanticize things because I think that makes us then maybe less, um, kind of puts blinders on us and, and makes it a little harder for us to see reality. So another thing I really like, and you've mentioned this before, Lynn, is how Brian Stevenson says, does such a great job of humanizing people um he really does you know he tells the story behind the person because every person you know we don't exist in a vacuum every person has a story that's made them who they are and one of the the people he talks about is um herbert richardson who was a death row inmate and he was a vietnam war vet i mean his story is I mean, just reading about his experience in Vietnam is enough to put you on edge and just you can't imagine what he went through. You know, his entire uh, company platoon, I don't mm-hmm. know what they what what the appropriate name of, you know, you know, all of the people he served with in that group were killed and he was the only one who survived. So here he comes back to the United States, has, I think, some... He has some issues, some, you know, PTS, and he, rightly so, I might mm-hmm. add. Um, but, you know, that played a part in what he was in jail for and just his, what he thought was he was showing love for someone. We can look at it and say, no, but he wasn't in his right mind, and yet... I think one of the things that really struck me about particularly Herbert's case is that he was, so he ended up killing a a young girl. I should put that in. That was the intention was not there, but it it happened. And and the jury found him guilty and they sentenced him to life without parole. And the judge came back and turned it into a 
a capital murder. You know, he, he turned it into, um, the death penalty. And that to me, like it really, you looked at everything and and granted his history was not presented in his case. So that goes to another issue of his lawyer. I mean, his lawyer, the lawyer that represented him was eventually disbarred because Mm -hmm. he wasn't doing his job as a lawyer, but it goes to show that we have to look at an entire person. And this is one of the things where I love being a Christian. I love being a Catholic because we we don't want to be seen as the sum of our sins. We want people to see us as people who are on a journey, who are growing, who've made some mistakes, but we're moving forward. And, you know, I think Herbert's a, a great example of he did some things, he has a past that really have affected him. And yes, he's culpable, but we can, ref- he, he can grow. Um, and what's really striking again is that the jury saw that the jury saw like we can give him life and maybe have a little redemption story there for him. And the judge overturned that. Which then makes you wonder, why do we have a jury? Mm-hmm. Um, if ultimately, and, and the other thing about that, in the state of Alabama, in order for it to be a capital offense, there must have been intention. And um, Herbert was trying to get the attention of a woman he loved, and he thought, oh, I'll send, set this bomb on her porch. Okay, I know Again, that, us, that sounds crazy, right? Misguided. But, <laughs> right? But because then he was going to swoop in and rescue her and save her. And in the meantime, uh, two little girls found the package, right? And so... Um, it was his intent was not to kill anyone. But I, I think that's the other thing, too, that you find is that, you know, like, um, as, as I read in the Supreme Court of the United States of America will make a ruling and then other courts in different states will say, yeah, but that doesn't apply here. I'm like, why do we have the Supreme Court, right? Like if they make a ruling and say, you know, because that was one of the things I found fascinating, too, about how so many states says it's illegal for a black person and a white person to be married, people of different races to be married, until like 2011, states still had that on the books. And if you ask, like in Mississippi, 46% of the respondents said, we think it should still be illegal. Like there are things that are just amazing to me. I find most every page is eye-opening and heartbreaking and you just can't get around the fact and I think you know the way Brian structures the book is he talks the the main case is Walter McMillan's case Mm -hmm. but then he adds in and this is one of the questions further along too is that you know why do you think Brian adds in all of these other cases in these other chapters and I think what he's trying to show us is this is not just a one-time thing you know um so many eye-opening Points and statistics. That's another thing you'll find um, in this book about the United States of America. And um, we're one of the few countries with the death penalty and how we treat children. You'll find that out more um, as you get farther along in the book. And we'll talk about that next time we're together. Um, Just really eye-opening statistics and facts and about 
how so many more people incarcerated in the United States of America in the millions now. And I think one of the things in the introduction that was so eye-opening is that our prison systems become a money-making system for mm-hmm. some people. And the United States States spends a lot of money on keeping people incarcerated when we have other issues like education and health care and working out welfare system. So um, I think one of the reasons Brian does all of these other stories is to help us realize there is a systematic and systemic problem and pattern in the United States that goes way back. Mm. Um, And I think it's very eye-opening. I think, too, in Herbert Richardson's case, the one that we were just talking about, um, and this goes back to what Kristen was saying about how we're all more than the worst thing we've done. We have a story, and we're part of God's bigger story, is on the day that Herbert Richardson was um, to be executed, Brian met with him like the hour before he um, was scheduled to be killed. And uh, Herbert said to him, everyone has been so nice to me today. The guards, the people, can we get you anything? Can I do anything for you? Because these people had gotten to know Herbert over the time that he had spent on death row. They knew him. They had proximity to him. And they knew him, and they knew his story, and they knew him to be a good man. And so I think a lot of times when people say justice has been served, when someone has been killed Mm -hmm. um, on death row, it's this idea of a person, this person I don't know who's committed a crime, and uh, because they have no personal attachment to them, it seems like it's an okay thing. But these are people who encountered him and who knew him, even in a surface way. They knew him, and it grieved them to know that his life was going to be taken. And so they did whatever they could for him that day. And I think as human beings, we we feel connected to one another, no matter how hard we try, you know, maybe to keep people at a distance. Like, we still feel that connection. And that's what I kind of felt like as I was reading that portion of the book, is they felt connected to him. They're on the day that he was to die, they knew this was his last day. And now a lot of times you don't get to know when your last day is, let alone, you know, have people know when your last day is. Mm-hmm. So it, that to me was uplifting in a way that maybe he, his last day maybe wasn't miserable. You know, people did go out of his way and, out of their way to be kind to him because kindness goes such a long way. And the one thing particularly about, you know, Herbert's last day is that he asked Brian to play a song, you know, as he was walking into the electric chair and the book gave me goosebumps. The movie, I said I wasn't gonna bring the movie in, Mm. but I'm going to bring in the movie. (laughs) The movie, I was watching it and I sobbed through this portion. I mean, the old rugged cross is a song that'll get you going anyways, but to to hear it and to see it in the movie it really you know it's a it's a that's a song about redemption you know and, and it's a song about acknowledging our sins but looking forward to the future and and not just you know your future here on earth but what comes next in the next life and it it just was it was a very powerful moment um both again both in the book but particularly in the movie and again, it just reminds 
it was a good reminder that we are all sinners. We've all done things that are wrong. And it, and I think particularly with, you know, criminals, people who have a criminal history, we want to, it's like in our, in our minds, we want to compartmentalize like, oh, you have a criminal history. We have to put you in this box. You know, we can't. And that's what you're saying about proximity, like just being close to someone and getting to know them, seeing their face. It makes them more than just that. I'm putting them in that box where they belong. And and so this book, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about it. I'm only on, I'm only through chapter five and I've cried. I've <laughs> laughed. I mean, it is, it's a powerful book. So if you're not reading it or if you're not doing this, um, you know, book study, if you have some time, I highly recommend it's a, it's a fast, it's a hard read, but yeah. it's a fast read. Um, it's very engaging and it does, it just makes you look at the lives of people that we've, that the justice system maybe has overlooked or maybe hasn't worked as hard for as, as others. Well, and I think the whole notion of death row and capital punishment, it's really hard for me um, as a follower of Jesus because none of us are beyond redemption, right? Jesus died for every single one of us and there's hope for every single one of us. And when you put somebody on death row, you say there's no hope of transformation for you. You you are your greatest sin. You are your greatest crime. And and that's not to say that things, and we shouldn't perhaps be punished, obviously. And that's one of the questions from um, the very first week was critics of social justice initiatives complain that too many excuses are being made for those who have done wrong. And so there's a line from The Great Gatsby that says, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you have had. And that's made me think, I actually had, I got into it maybe three or four years ago. I was mm, baited by one of my son's friends and I was the adult in the situation and I did not handle myself well. And I have since apologized for that. But, um, you know, because we were talking, it was about, college athletes getting paid to play and I said you already know what I'm going to say right and so but again like I think back because of course I was saying things like well when my grand great-grandparents came here from Italy you know they were mistreated and they you know had a really hard time of it and they were Italian and Catholic and nobody trusted them and nobody but you know what my great-grandparents chose to come here this kid's great-great-grandparents probably great-great-great but family members were brought here on a slave ship as property. And that's something that sticks with and and just because of if you look historically at the United States of America, and how, you know, we went from slavery to Jim Crow laws to segregation, if you really look at that, I mean, you'd have to do some research, and you'd have to look into the history, and what's happened through that. There have been things in their experience that haven't been the same. My family, when they came here, they also had the church. Mm-hmm. They had the Catholic Church who helped provide education, who gave them a community, who had all that. Those who were brought here as slaves from Africa, they had their African church, their black church, but that also was no power for them, right? Like it gave them support and love. So that whole idea of, 
I grew up not especially advantaged, um, but I had advantages even then that a poor black person wouldn't have had. And I think that's one of the things, too, Brian talks about is um, it's not just people of color, brown and black people, but also just poor people in general who um, are at a disadvantage within the system. The system is very difficult to maneuver if you are a poor person. And Kristen even mentioned it. Like uh, there were no defenders, public defenders for people on death row in Alabama. So you couldn't even get somebody to take your case on once you were there, you know, to get you a retrial. Like there, there was nobody. Um, so, and I, it always goes back to Father Rob always says, judge not and you won't be judged. Mm-hmm. Judge not. So I think you know, it's okay to look at something and say, yeah, it's not good to kill your neighbor, right? Like that, that is a judgment we make, but we also know it's because we're supposed to love our neighbor. And in the 10 commandments, it says thou shall not kill. Right. But, um, we don't ever know what that person has walked through. We don't know what their experience is. We don't know the disadvantages. And I think example after example, and some of the ones Kristen's given is if you're not allowed to bring those up in court, um, you don't have the whole picture of what's happening and what has happened to this person that may have brought them to this point in their life. And I think it's that's important, again, because you're not just, in capital punishment cases in particular, you're not just killing the criminal. Mm-mm. You're killing a person with an entire story. And and, and that's important, I think, to, to remember. Um, we are all, we all have a history. You know, we all have moments in our lives that have made us who we are for better or for worse. And and I appreciate uh, Brian Stevenson for doing for this book because he does just that. He reminds us of the humanity. Even when, you know, you look at a crime and you think that is the most heinous crime that I have in the entire world. There's still humanity in that person that committed that crime. No one is born evil. Everyone is born in the image and likeness of God, and therefore no one can be born evil. Um, But our experiences and and what we go through really shapes who we become and what we do. And it's not, I'm not saying that as an excuse for people to go out and commit crimes. Absolutely not. I'm just saying that, you know, those are the things that we have to remember when we want to dehumanize people who we don't agree with or people who have committed crimes. Uh, we can't forget hum- their humanity. You know, I think sometimes this issue becomes very politicized, left, right. Oh, you know, I mean, I don't even have to go through that. You you know what I'm saying. Um, but what I loved is in this uh, May-June issue of Faith Saginaw, um, a lot of it has to do with racial justice and equality, and it's not political. It's all talked about through the lens of who we are as Christians. So the bishop does a beautiful job in the very beginning just talking about um, confronting the racism that's in our society and in our hearts, that it is both personal and corporal. There are some actually some ideas on page five about little things that we can do to um, kind of, first of all, we, we pray for an end to racism, right? Prayer is always our first step um, and, and really looking in our hearts and saying, what little pieces do I hold on to? And I'm just going to be honest, like growing up, I grew up um, outside of Akron, Ohio, 
And I distinctly remember my dad, we'd be driving down the road. And if there was a black person, my dad would say, lock your doors. And I had forgotten about that until my sister brought it up. We were together and we were having a discussion. And, um, you know, even I didn't understand, but like, oh, but I associated a lack of safety with a black or brown person walking down the street. I think my dad's a great and loving man. He got that from his father. Um, and so like to go back and have to, we, even though, oh my gosh, working really hard to love everybody just as who they are, we have these things from our past, from our upbringings, um, that are little barriers in our head. And I like to believe when I was talking to our boys and just saying, I believe grandpa Joe is doing better than his dad did. And I think I'm doing better than grandma and grandpa. And I know you guys are doing better than I am with seeing people as the beautiful creation that they are. And it gives me hope. Um, so that first article by the Bishop was excellent. And then there's, um, in the know with Father Joe, Joe Krupp, he actually talks about who is my enemy and really helping define that. And um, people who disagree with you aren't your enemy. So is a, that was a good soul-searching one. And then there's an article by actually Dr. Dan Osborne, and he has um, one biological daughter. She's white, and then they've adopted Lil Maya, who um, is black, and his stepmom is actually black and he has some really great insights. And so I would encourage you. And there's also some really great stuff in here about all the flood help everybody here in Midland did. So it's a very uplifting and non-political look at racism, um, unconscious bias, and just really, it's, it's hard to hold up the mirror and look because you think, I think we all think we're good people and we love people, but I think we all carry something with us that, you know, and so there's a lot of talk about your either every action and thought is either racist or actively anti-racist, right? Like, so um, I still need to unpack a lot of that in my head, but am I doing something to further the cause of justice in the world with my thoughts and actions, or am I holding people back? And I think that's a, a great place to point out, too. This is not something where you take a course or you read a book and you're done like you're enlightened this just like you know being a disciple we're always learning we're always learning about who god is and how and you know who jesus is and how much god loves us we're always learning about that this too is is one of those topics where we have to continue to learn and actually on our web on our parish website we have a lot of resources um, you know, we list some books, we list some movies, you know, some documentaries that people can watch, uh, and, and just kind of help you form, form your conscience, form your mind and, and be informed about, you know, issues of race, uh, and discrimination and, and things and things like that. It, it's not going to go away overnight, but I think we can all take steps to ensure that we can be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Um, and that's not, it's, it's not just about, you know, race. It is about, you know, systemic issues that we have in the country. And part of that comes from, you know, like Lynn said, you know, her grandfather, you know, did things and then that her father picked up that her father passed on to her. Same thing with my family. You know, there are things that we hear that were normal 
-hmm. But now kind of as we peel back those layers and look in the mirror and think to ourselves, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that wasn't the right thing. And that doesn't mean that, you know, people are bad because they had those thoughts. It just means that, hey, we can do better. And you know what? That is literally the entire story of the Bible right there. (laughs) We can do better. (laughs) And it's a redemption story. So, you know, we can all do the work. Um, We can all do our part. You know, it's just like with recycling and keeping, you know, our parks clean. We can all, if everyone picks up their own trash, like we can do our part. If we can all look at ourselves and say, yeah, probably shouldn't say that. Or I need to actively work to change my mindset about that. You know, we can make the the world a, a better place. And actually I was on Instagram today and Catholic Relief Services posted a quote from Desmond Tutu. And it says, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Mm. And so, you know, there's a lot that we can do, but a little bit goes a long way, particularly if we're all doing um, our little bit. So that's called building the kingdom. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So Lynn, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, I would just encourage people to keep having conversations with each other. Um, I know that my husband with his team at work, Every week, they're talking about diversity issues. They're talking um, about unconscious bias, all kinds of things, because they're just keeping the conversation going. And um, and again, it's okay if someone doesn't agree with you. That doesn't make them your enemy. But I think it's enlightening. I think it's good for us. Um, I, I We just have to go back and remember, God created each and every one of us with a special purpose, and God loves each and every one of us. And I think, too, that's one of the things. Sometimes it's hard for us to offer forgiveness and mercy because we can't believe God's really offered that to us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it stems from that. So, hey, God loves you. God forgives you. And we're called to extend that same to others. So if you haven't picked up a book, I would invite you to do so. Enter into the thought, conversation, conversation. you know, even if you want to read it with a pal, you know, it doesn't have to, you've got some questions, just, just sit down and talk about it. Absolutely. So thank you, Lynn, for joining. Thank you, everyone who's listening. Um, you know, we hope that if at the very least, you know, you, this piqued your interest in the book, um, we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, where the book is going and, and how Brian Stevenson is again peeling back the layers of those of that onion. So um, thank you for joining us and I hope you have a fantastic day.